Last week we started a series on the beauty of brokenness. And just a very short recap, kind of the Reader's Digest version of what we've talked about so far, is that we're all broken. Every one of us has scars from previous pains. Every one of us has frailties. We all have glitches, if you will, in our personalities that keep us from from being and doing all that we'd like to be and do. We're all broken. We've all been hurt. We have all hurt others. We say the wrong things. We think in selfish ways. We're broken. But instead of of letting that brokenness define us and keep us down and tell us what we cannot do and who we cannot be, there is beauty in it when we recognize that because of our brokenness, it is easier for people to see God at work. You see, you can look through the cracks in John's brokenness and see the light of life inside there and see what God is doing. Anytime John accomplishes anything, you're, you're able to say, well, I know John couldn't have done that. He must serve a God that's bigger than him. And it brings God glory. There is beauty in our brokenness. This morning, I want us to continue that that same idea, but we're going to look at it from a different aspect. You you know, when a a jeweler is is working with a diamond or another another beautiful gem, that that jeweler will will cut away all the stuff that doesn't fit, that's that's not what he wants, and, and then he'll look at that gem in this direction, and then he'll... He'll spin it a little bit this way and tilt it a little bit that way and look at it from another aspect. And then he'll spin it again this way and look at it that way because he wants to see it from all sides, all different aspects. And that's what I want us to do with this concept of brokenness. This morning, a little bit different than last week as we looked at brokenness in our human nature, in our personality, in our background and in our history. Today I want us to look further within as we think about spiritual brokenness. How can there be beauty in spiritual brokenness? What is spiritual brokenness? What do we mean by that? Well, last time we talked about the brokenness of humanity This time I want us to talk about a spiritual brokenness from within. What we're talking about is the opposite of pride. Pride gets puffed up, says I'm strong, I'm smart, I'm tough, I'm confident, I can do all that needs to be done on my own, I got this. 
And because I'm puffed up and confident and self-reliant, it does at times put me in a position where I wind up looking down my nose at others who may not be where I am. The opposite of that is a broken spirit. Humility. The ability to come to God and say, I am not, but you are. I need you. I cannot, but you can. I need you. When we talk about brokenness, we're describing David's experience in Psalm 51. Do you remember the story of David? The army is out fighting. David, who is the king, should have been with his army on the battlefield, but instead of being with his army on the battlefield, where was David hanging out that afternoon? You remember? He's on the roof of the palace. The roof of the palace is it's the living room. In their day and their time, the roof was the place you, hung, you hang out. So David is kicked back in his lazy boy, drinking his Dr. Pepper, watching the 72-inch big screen. And his guys are out on the battlefield. And as happens so often when we are in the wrong place at the wrong time, David got in trouble. You know, quite often, not always, but quite often, we never would have faced the temptation that brought us down had we been in the right place. But because we allowed ourselves to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, the temptation was strong enough to bring us down. Sometimes we have to make decisions before temptations occur. David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Temptation came. Sure enough, he's leaning over. He's looking at Bathsheba. Bathsheba down there taking a bath. David liked what he see. He says, somebody go get me that. Now you say, that's kind of, that, that sounds kind of personal and objectifying. It does, doesn't it? That's the point. Here's the king. He saw something he wanted. He said, y'all go get me that. And he took it for himself. As so often happens, one bad decision puts you in a position where you wind up making another bad decision to cover the first bad decision, and it snowballs, and that's what happened to David. David wound up committing adultery, wound up committing murder. And then Nathan comes by. Nathan tells him a story. In the story, David gets angry because the story is about this guy. This, this rich fella had all these sheep and all these lambs. He had all that he, all that he could ask for. Poor fellow over here only had one, one critter, only, only had one lamb. And he loved that lamb. Sweet little white fluffy thing. Called that sweet little white fluffy thing princess. Put that sweet little white fluffy thing in the bed with him at night. A critter in bed with you at night. 
but he loved that little critter. Well, what happened? A fellow came by. He visited the rich man. Remember, the rich man got all these critters all over the place. A fellow came by. He visited the rich man. rich man didn't want to um, kill any of his critters for dinner. So he goes over here and he takes the one lamb from the poor guy and kills it for their dinner. David hears the story. He gets so angry. He says, that dude deserves to die. And Nathan says, you are that dude. Here is David in a palace with all the concubines he wants. Many wives if he wants them. But here's Uriah on the front lines fighting for David. Doesn't have much at all except his wife. And David took her. Nathan says, you're the man. And immediately, David falls within. He recognizes his sin. He realizes how far he's fallen from God. And he prays Psalm 51. God, against you and you alone have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Wash me of my iniquities. Cleanse me with hyssop. Forgive me. And in that great and beautiful and powerful prayer, we find these two verses. Psalm 51. Look at verse 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17. He says to God, For thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And as David makes those statements, he, he speaks to a reality that we need to consider this morning. First, he recognizes that God looks beyond our religion. This is, I think, one of the most important messages, words, if you will, to the church today. That we need to help each other understand that God looks beyond our religion. Understand that when you show up on Sunday morning, and you sit when we tell you to sit, and you stand when we tell you to stand, and you sing the words on the, on the screen, and you open the book, and you sing the words, even if you put a $10 bill in the plate. None of that does anything for your relationship to God unless it is an outward expression of an inward reality. Does that make sense? Too many people today settle for the outward expression while nothing's going on inside. I'm not really thinking about the words I'm saying. I'm saying what I've been taught to say because that's what we say. I'm not really paying attention to what we're doing. I'm doing what we're doing because the guy up front said do it. 
And none of that has any impact on my relationship with God or in bringing Him the honor that He is due unless it's an outward expression of an inward reality. See, He looks beyond our religion. So David says, I, it, man, if, if offerings would do it, I would bring you the offerings. But you don't delight in just the act of a sacrifice. That would be easy. Verse 16, you're not pleased with burnt offering. If it was just an act, I just had to do something, I would do it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. He said, I, otherwise I would give it. If there was something I could do to, to be forgiven and to be right with you and, and to really serve you, I would do it. But he's saying, God, I know there's more to it than just what I do. God, you look beyond religion. It's the lesson of the geode that we looked at last week. We can only see the outside. But God is able to see the beauty on the inside. That's the way things work with religion. All we can see is that you showed up, that you bowed your head, that you did the right stuff. But God looks beyond the religion. He looks to the inner man, the inner person. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He looks beyond religion into our hearts. And when he does, God sees our brokenness. That's the second thing that we learn from David's great prayer here in these two verses. God looks beyond our religion, and when he does, he sees our brokenness. You see in verse 17, the sacrifices of God, now God doesn't make sacrifices, so what does it mean, sacrifices of God? He means the godly sacrifices, the sacrifices that please God, the, the sacrifices that count. The sacrifices that are godly are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. A broken spirit, humble, a broken heart, truly saddened by our own sin which separated us from a holy God. Sir Richard Baker said many years ago, is a thing that is broken good for anything? Can we, bring, can we drink in a broken glass? Or can we lean upon a broken staff? But though other things may be the worst for breaking, yet a heart is never at the best till it be broken. For till it be broken, we cannot see what is in it. Till it be broken, it cannot send forth its sweetest odor. And therefore, though God loves a whole heart in affection, yet he loves a broken heart in sacrifice. A broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. God looks past our religious activity. And what he's looking for is the humility of a broken spirit. 
a broken and contrite heart that is honest with self and real with God. Psalm 34. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. My pride separates me from Him, but my brokenhearted spirit connects us and He's close to me. We read as well from Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is Messiah. This is Jesus. Jesus is talking all the way back in Isaiah. He's talking about his purpose in coming. And Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus the Messiah says, He has sent me to bind up the what? Help me out. To bind up the what? Broken hearted. One of the reasons Jesus came was for the broken hearted. That's why He connects with us when we're willing to have a broken spirit and a broken heart when we're willing to be humbled for Him. Which brings us to the next thing that I want us to recognize, and that is that God uses our brokenness. He looks past our religion, and He sees our brokenness, and then He uses that brokenness. Pride keeps us from God, but humility allows us to come close to Him. And as we come close to Him, then He can use us for His purpose, for, for His glory. In James chapter 4 and verse 6 he gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. He uses our brokenness. That's what makes our broken spirit something beautiful. That's what makes a broken heart something beautiful because God then can use us. As long as that pride gets in the way, He's not going to use us. He's not going to direct us. We're separated from Him by our own ignorant, arrogant pride but when we allow ourselves to be broken in His presence, then he, hum he, he, he shows us favor. Scripture says He lifts up the humble and brings down the proud. My pride puts up a wall between me and God. And that keeps Him at a distance, but brokenness is coming to the end of myself and tearing down the wall between us so God can see me as I am and I can see Him as he is. That's what Jesus, that's part of what he was talking about when he defined discipleship in three steps. Jesus defined discipleship in three steps. He said, you deny yourself, you take up your cross daily, you follow me. It starts when we deny self, when we humble ourselves, when we allow our spirit and our heart to be broken for him. That's where discipleship begins. Only then are we able to take up a cross. Only then are we willing to follow Him. In Bethlehem, you go to the Church of the Nativity. And in order to get into the Church of the Nativity, you have to go through the only door in and out, which is four feet tall and two feet wide. Four feet tall. Two feet shorter than I am. So to get into 
the church that remembers and celebrates the birth of Jesus, you have to bow. You can't go to that church unless you're humble enough to bow in his presence. And I think that is the only way we come into his presence. It is in humility, a broken spirit, a contrite heart. And so the prophet Micah says, he has shown you what's good. He told you how to live your life in a good way. What does the Lord require of you? Act justly. That means do what's right. Love mercy. That means care about people. And walk humbly with your God. You can't walk with your God with a, with a, a, a strong, unbreakable pride. It's only with that broken spirit and that contrite heart you walk with him. If you're going to get right with God and be the person he act, that, that, that he can actually use, it's going to require that spiritual brokenness. Vance Havner was a pastor in years gone by. He said it takes broken soil to produce a crop. Broken clouds to produce rain. Broken grain to give bread. And broken bread to give strength. It is the broken alabaster box that gives forth perfume. It is the broken apostle Peter weeping bitterly who returns to greater power than ever. You see, God uses our brokenness. God has little use for a prideful person. He will do to us whatever is required to break us down. A wild horse is a beautiful animal, but a wild horse is useless to its owner. You have to train a horse before you can ride him, before you can get him to pull a plow, before he'll follow you. And traditionally, what have we called that process of training a horse so that you can ride him and lead him and he'll pull a plow? Traditionally, what have we called it? Breaking the horse. Now, I know that that is not, that is not the term most people prefer today. I know that because I recently asked my friend Mitch Bynum, who's the pastor of High Point Cowboy Church here in town. I asked him about breaking horses. He said, John, use the term training. Got it. We train horses. I said, how long does it take to train a horse? He said, well, a lot of folks will, will send them to a, 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 you know, somebody who can train them. It may take a month, two months, three months. It depends on how much time you spend in the saddle. And then he said, but really, John, training takes a lifetime. And I got to really thinking about that. I got to wondering how, how has God had to break me in order that I would follow him, in order that I would pull my load. He's still in the process. But it seems to me that the more I fight against the process and the more pride I have, the more difficult that makes it on me. If I come to Him with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, 
then he can teach me to be the man he created me to be. I don't think I've ever told anybody this, but every time I preach, before I preach, every time I step into the pulpit, I pray basically the same prayer. I say, God, speak through me and speak to me. And I tell you that because I want you to know that when I preach, the message is usually something I need to hear just as much as anyone else. Sometimes God uses that preaching time to break me. Sometimes He uses it to convict me, to shake me up, to bring me closer to Himself. Every once in a while, after church is out and we're filing out the door and I'm standing there passing cold germs from one person to the next. <laughs> Every once in a while, someone will say, well, preacher, you really stepped on my toes this morning. It's usually meant as a compliment, and I take it that way. But without getting too poetic and goofy, let me just tell you, if you feel like I stepped on your toes, it's that's really just pieces of broken preacher that landed on you. God has a process of making sure that we're real, of using our brokenness. Now you can come to him and you can say, I got this, I'm strong, I'm tough, I don't need it. But beloved, understand he loves you too much to leave you in that place and he will work even harder to bring you to the place that you can be used. Or you can come to him and say with this broken spirit and contrite heart, God, I need you. And I want to be used by you your way. And all of a sudden it gets a lot easier. Yesterday we went to Walmart, and inside Walmart they had these glow sticks. And I thought, man, those glow sticks are cool. And so I took one out, and I thought, man, I want to see this glow stick. And I looked at it, and it just looks like yellow water. I don't really get the point. It doesn't glow that brightly. What's the... What's missing? What am I not getting of this thing they call a glow stick? You have to break it first, right? Do you remember our memory verse from our last series? Let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But beloved, I have to tell you, in order for you to do that, you have to be willing to be broken first. David said, it's not my church attendance, it's not my offering that you really care about, God. It's, it's a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And so with that, I come to you and ask forgiveness. Are you ready to come to God with a broken spirit and a contrite heart 
or will you continue to kick against the goads and put yourself in a position where God will have to bring you down on his own? Father, speak to us this morning. Thank you for loving us. Speak now to our broken hearts. Help us that we might hear you, that we might be willing to obey. We pray in Jesus' name.